Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Get Real with Casey Kasem. I'm your host, Casey Kasem, and I sat down with J.J. Zacharyson in the newest episode. He's the creator of Late Round Fantasy Football. J.J. also hosts Late Round Fantasy Football Podcast and Living the Stream. Our conversation included talk about the pronunciation of his last name, Denny Carter parody accounts, Steelers season tickets, creating and publishing an ebook, thoughts on trading in fantasy football, criticism in the fantasy football space, and so much more. Please make sure you're following JJ on Twitter at LateRoundQB. Additionally, make sure you head over to LateRound.com. If you are already, please follow me on Twitter at DKCKSum and the podcast at GetReal underscore pod. This podcast is a proud member of the DAP Network. Thanks for supporting the podcast. You're the best. And here's my chat with JJ Zacharyson. JJ, let's just dive right in, can we? Let's do it. All right. So when you were growing up, what was your relationship with sports like? Oh, man, I love sports. I grew up with um, an older brother who is, I mean, he's my best friend now. We weren't, like, we had a six and a half year age gap. So it was, you know, not really a... I had a sister as well, but I, um, my brother was the one who was into sports, uh, but we had a six and a half year age gap and, you know, he wasn't necessarily like the most athletic in the world. Uh, he's a, he's athletic, but he wasn't like playing on like high school teams and stuff like that. He was more so just like very, very into sports, uh, very into, he loved hockey, still loves hockey. Um, so I got a love for hockey through him. Uh, and then I played a lot of baseball growing up, played baseball in high school and such. Um, and then, uh, football was just sort of like a part of, I grew up in Pittsburgh. So it's just like a part of you growing up in Pittsburgh football is. Um, and so, you know, I was lucky, uh, that towards the end of like when I was in high school and then I went to college, I went to Pitt. Um, so I was all in Pittsburgh throughout that like time frame. Uh, my parents and my, my uncle split Steeler season tickets. And so I was able to go to a ton of Steeler games, uh, as a high schooler and, uh, I guess in middle school too, um, and then into college and stuff. And I just, I fell in love with football by going to those games and just, uh, you know, I fell in love with fantasy football through that and all of that. Uh, so sports, sports was really like, like I can remember like growing up when I was like 10 years old sitting in my room and I had one of those like really, really little like eight inch televisions that had like a VCR on it. And, <laughs> and I would sit there and I would watch like any baseball game that I could possibly watch. I loved baseball so much growing up. Um, and sports has just always been a massive, massive part of my life. I love the competition aspect of it, but I love the camaraderie aspect of it. I love the, uh, just, just the, the way that you learn how to team build and, and be teammates with, with folks. Um, it's just, it's just always been incredibly important. And I think it, you know, it's, it's credit to my older brother. It's credit to my dad who, you know, allowed me to, to play whatever sport I wanted and to, you know, he used to take me to pirate games all the time growing up and stuff. And like, I just feel very lucky that I was surrounded by people who loved these games and I was able to, you know, it wasn't forced on me. I just also love them. And that's awesome to be able to have that connection with sports at such a young age. Did you have a favorite player growing up or did you attend any games that were like mind blowing games? Yeah. So I had, I'd say my favorite Steeler game that I attended there's a couple that really stand out to me. There was one Steelers Broncos game that I went to in like the nineties at three river stadium. This is before Heinz field was built in Pittsburgh. And I remember being little at the time, you know, I was born in 88. So, uh, you know, mid nineties, I'm probably like eight years old or something like that. And, uh, 
I remember being like at Three Rivers when the Steelers would play because the Pirates played there too. But, you know, it's just a very traditional circular stadium. There's nothing to it really. It was just this big bulky thing. And whenever the Steelers would play, they'd pull bleachers out. And so uh, I was in the like the bleacher area where these seats were. And I remember the the crowd was going so crazy over something. I have no idea what they were going crazy, but it was snowing super hard and they were going nuts and the bleachers were just bouncing up and down. And I remember actually like leaving my feet throughout the whole thing because I was still so little and just like experiencing that whole atmosphere was really, really cool. Um, so I remember that growing up. And then I think the coolest game that I went to was I was at the game uh, when the Steelers uh, beat the Patriots and ended their 21 game win streak, like the, you know, over multiple seasons, I was at that game and like Deshae Townsend, the Steelers corner had this pick six on Tom Brady. And it was just like a, just one of those moments where like, I always will look back and just like, remember, cause I used to go with my dad all the time. And you know, my dad's still alive. It's not like I look back on it and say like, Oh, you know, I just remember these, these moments, but I think I will, you know, when, when right. that time comes and I will, will remember those times with him and just like, looking up at him and just celebrating and having so much fun at these games and such. But I used to do that all the time, you know, go to those games and go to pirate games and such. Like I said, favorite player growing up, I had this weird, this is the strangest, like, I don't even know why this happened, but uh, we were on vacation once and the home run derby was happening and my family and friends who were there, we all like picked out a player out of a hat to root for in the home run derby. This is probably in 98. I want to say maybe 97, and I picked up Moises Alou, which was this random. I mean, he played for the Marlins for a while. He played for the Expos back in the day. He kind of moved around, played for the Astros, and he was pretty good for the Astros. Uh, I got Moises Alou, and I just like fell in love with this guy. Like loved uh, his style of play. He was a really good fastball hitter. Uh, I bought his jersey. I got well. I was gifted his jersey at one point. I remember. I actually, and this is like. I guess I don't regret it too, too much at this point because I, the, the pirates annoy me in the way that the organization is run at this point in my life. But I wore a Moises Alou Jersey to a pirates game at PNC park. And it was almost like a sacrilege type moment for me, like looking back because I was wearing the opponent's Jersey, but he actually like, like I met him before the game and he <laughs> signed it on the sweet spot and stuff. But yeah, I mean, like I said, like I could tell stories like that for, for hours of just like these athletes that I used to love growing up and like, the stuff that I, you know, the baseball cards and football cards I used to collect and like all it's just, it was everything for me growing up. Sports were, were video games, right? Like I, I played NHL 94, like it was my job. And, and, you know, I just, everything really surrounded sports. Everything I did after school was sports. You know, all my friends and I, we would create like sports leagues with other neighborhood kids and stuff. And like, I, you know, it's, it's, it's not shocking that I ended up finding a job uh, working in sports in some way because it just really was such a big part of my life growing up. And, you know, being able to have those memories and taking them with you, like you said, it's just, it's great. So you brought up snow and, and the bleachers and everything. Are you a fan of snow? I know you're from Pittsburgh. Are you a fan or not so much? Yeah. So, you know, I, I, uh, I've now lived in Charlotte, North Carolina for about, seven years i want to say what or i guess eight years now uh oh yeah it just just became eight years um and i didn't realize how much i hated the snow until i moved down here honestly <laughs> like it's so much better to not have the snow. i know that like i experienced it growing up so like 
you know, there's a lot of people who grew up either down here or even further south uh, who just didn't experience the snow at all ever. And they're like, oh, yeah. I love the snow. I just I wish I could could be around the snow. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, I love not having to, like, wipe my car down and worry about slush on the roads all the time and stuff like that. And it's it's uh, it's it's a nice change. The weather down here in Charlotte's a lot better than it was in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I'm in Texas and like, uh, yeah. The snow for us is usually like you're off from work, so you don't have to worry about you yeah. know getting the snow off, and it's melted by the next day. So uh, yeah, I never got to experience that. My dad lives in Pennsylvania, so he complains to me all the time and sends me photos and stuff. So it's nice. <laughs> I, I like I like whenever uh, like Pittsburgh gets a big snowfall, and then we we have like seventy degree weather or something. Like it usually happens around this time of year where like there's some yeah. change going on. Like you know down here we we start to get into spring and summer and stuff. And they're just not there up north. And they like last week they got like six inches of snow or something. And it was like in the 60s, 70s here and sunny. It was perfect. <laughs> I love that. That's great. It is nice to be able to rub that in people's faces. Oh, yeah. Did you so getting into fantasy football, how did that come about? Yeah. So um I started a league. I've been playing fantasy for a pretty long time, but I started a league um when I was in ninth grade. Um so this would have been in like 2002-ish uh, time frame. Uh, and I started, a, maybe 2001, I started a league uh, with some high school buddies. And that league is actually still going on. Oh, cool. um, and so it's been my my longest lasting league. I was I'm, I still am the commissioner. Um, and, you know, it's it was one of those things where I always took it a little bit more seriously than they did, especially early on. Uh, I was way more into it. We would be on the message boards on ESPN where this, where we would, where, where we were playing and, you know, I would be arguing with them uh, this then once we got into like college and stuff where we had like this platform to argue back and forth with, I remember like spending like hours uh, like talking about like Michael Turner or someone, just these like random players uh, about why I felt this guy was good or was, was bad and why this trade was good, why it was bad. So I knew then that I really, really liked, uh, you know, doing the fantasy thing and, and just like playing and, and analyzing and stuff. But I, I didn't really know, you know, that there was this like community out there and this industry out there. You know, I, I, I didn't start doing that or even realizing that it was a possibility until 2012 uh, whenever I published the, the late round quarterback ebook. But, um, you know, so I went a good 10 years just playing and like, I remember being in college and going to, uh, you know, keggers and, uh, just like sitting by the keg and, and drinking out of solo cups with people and just like talking fantasy football for like hours. Right. Just like, mm -hmm. like just, just shooting the shit and just, just hanging out and, and talking fantasy. Um, and so, you know, I knew that I always loved it. Uh, I just, again, I had no, I mean, if you were to tell me 15 years ago that this would be my job, I would, I would laugh at you and say that it's like likely not possible. Like I just, you know, it's, <laughs> it, it's just, it doesn't seem real. It still doesn't seem very real just in terms of like, like not necessarily like the journey to like, you know, being able to do this as my job, you know, that part of it seems real. The the unreal part is that this, it's just like, this is such a realistically, like I take a step back all the time and have these like existential crises. Like, what am I doing with my life? Like what, like, this is the most like, like mundane, worthless thing that I could possibly think of. And I, you know, I'm not trying to say that from the perspective that I don't love it because I absolutely love it. I have, I, I love it way too much. It's just this like notion of, okay, you know, I, I have this life and I want to do something cool with it. I'm analyzing fantasy football, you know, like I, you know, and, and you, you just, you think about it a little bit and you're like, well, why didn't I go the route of like being a doctor and actually like making change impactful change that way. Um, but yeah, you know, it's just, 
I, I just didn't think that this was ever uh, a possibility. I'm glad it's a possibility. I, I absolutely adore and love what I do. The people I get to talk to the people I communicate with and, and converse with on Twitter, like all of that. It's an amazing, amazing situation. I just, again, I just, I just feel like it's not real. You know, I just <laughs> feel like it's just not real. Well, it's, you know, growing up, it wasn't an option to be a fantasy football anything, really. I mean, you didn't hear about people, you know, there right. were people doing stuff. But, you know, even now, I'm sure a lot of kids don't know that you can do that, you know, yeah. let alone that what fantasy football is. But still, um, what did you want to be when you were growing up? And then what did you go to college for? It's a good question. Uh, so, I don't know. I was kind of, um, as even like a teenager, I was pretty lazy, um, and I, I didn't really like find my work ethic until probably like my sophomore year of college, which just so happens to align when I started dating my now wife, which I don't think is, you know, some, some random coincidence. Um, but you know, I was just kind of lazy. Like I didn't do a ton of like, didn't, didn't love doing like these random typical high school jobs and stuff. Like I would have them and I would just quit. Like I just didn't, didn't enjoy doing it. But what I, the one thing that I really did enjoy and the one thing that I latched onto and did is when I was probably like 11 or 12, I self-taught myself how to do graphic design. Um, and so I did graphic design. And then from that, it's it just sort of bled into me doing a little bit of web development stuff. And so when I was in high school and into college and stuff, I actually, the way that I made money, like my high school money, if you will, was I would just like design a single website over the summer, make money for the summer. Because, you know, you're in high school, you need like 500 bucks, you're good to go. Um, and so I would just like design a website, build a website for a family friend or someone who like just, I, I met somehow, whatever. Um, and I would design the site and I, I was good. Um, and then I would also just kind of like hone in on my graphic design. So like, I have all these like old wallpapers and stuff that I designed way back in the day of like random NBA players and stuff. And like, like I just used to sit on my computer and just design stuff constantly. So I was really into that. And so when I went to college, I was like, maybe I'll study design. But then I realized, uh, you know, I don't necessarily think that I need to go to school for it. Like, I think that I can continue to like hone in on this skill on my own, learn online, you know, tutorials and stuff like that. Nothing against design schools. Like they're great. I just, it wasn't for me. Um, and so I went into business and I went into marketing just to, to have sort of that like yin and yang, just it, it connected and made a lot of sense. I actually went to uh, North Carolina state for a semester um, in Raleigh, which is where my brother was. So my brother sort of was like, he was down there. He had already graduated and stuff. And uh, I went and checked out NC State, really liked it. I ended up going there for a semester, but I, I don't really know what, you know, looking back, I don't know what the trigger was for me to, to transfer. But I, after one semester, I transferred to um, back to Pitt. Um, and so I went to Pitt for three and a half years and graduated in four years. Um, and so I, uh, I got my degree in marketing from Pitt. Um, and, and that's, you know, really how it all came, came about in terms of just like, like I, my, my outlook was I want to work in some sort of industry where I can utilize my graphic and web design skills in some way. But also, you know, I have this degree that's a little bit more, uh, probably you know, just a little gen more general and more useful, uh, in the, with this marketing degree. So then I ended up getting into the advertising world, the ad agency world after schools. So that's sort of the story of that. So what exactly were you doing prior to the, the fantasy gig that you have? Or that yeah. So, uh, I was working in the ad agency world, like I said, so I, um, you know, my, my wife and I did, uh, had a long distance relationship in college for three years. We were, we went to the same high school together. 
Um, and then, and we were friends in high school. We didn't date until our sophomore year of college, but she was eight hours driving away from me for three years in college, which fortunately at the time was like sort of when Skype was like getting bigger. Like you could like do some, like, like you could like call and have like a web chat or whatever, but it was still at that time frame where like doing like a web chat was a little creepy and weird. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I mean it wasn't yeah. like totally like acceptable yet, you know, like, like you would be like, You'd be like, yeah, yeah, right. I'd be like, oh, I'm gonna go call my, my girlfriend and and you know use a webcam, and they're like, oh, okay, that sounds not great. Um, <laughs> and so, so yeah, so we would, uh, you know, we would, we did that for three years in college, and then she got a job in Cincinnati out after college, um, and I went with her to Cincinnati. And fortunately, Cincinnati is where Procter and Gamble is, and uh, they have a ton of ad agencies out in Cincinnati, and so I was able to land a job as a project manager um, in Cincinnati after school. Uh, and I did that for about three to four years before getting into probably three and a half years before getting into, uh, this fantasy industry, uh, on a full-time basis. So how did you first dip your toes into being a part of the fantasy industry? Yeah. So, you know, again, I, I feel like a lot of people, you sort of hit like that fork in the road, that crossroads of like, what am I doing with my life? You know, what do I, what kind of job do I really want? How am I going to feel fulfilled in some way? And I know that I joked earlier about having those like existential crises, but I do feel very fulfilled with my job. You know, it's it, and that, that I think at the end of the day, as selfish as that can sometimes be and feel like, I think that's the most important thing. And hopefully from that, there's a lot of giving and there's a lot of impact that you can make on others because you yourself feel fulfilled. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so, at the time, you know, I was working as a project manager. I just felt pretty worthless. Like I just, it wasn't like a deep depression necessarily, but it was just like this feeling of worthlessness. Like, what am I doing on a day-to-day -day basis? I love the people I work with. I love the fact that I can go to work and play ping pong, you know, cause it's an agency <laughs> and I got, you know, they got, they got beer at work that we can drink, but like, it wasn't, it was more so like the lifestyle that was cool as opposed to like me really getting something out of the job. And I, I, I fortunately had that that fork in the road and that crossroads pretty early in my career. Um, and so what I did one day was I was just like, okay, look, I don't like doing what I'm doing. What are some of the things that I could possibly do right now that, that I can at least like work on, on a, as a side project on the side, you know, not necessarily do it as a full-time thing, but you know, something I'm passionate about that I can work on when I'm outside of work. And so I remember one day at work, I'm just sitting there. This is probably like two years into my career after college. Um, not even actually, this is probably like a year and a half. Uh, and I just opened up a word document and I just started putting all these different passions I have like graphic design stuff and like web development. I remember at one point I almost changed my career to be a, a web developer. Um, and, uh, you know, I just start throwing all this stuff in a word document and then fantasy football is one of those things. And then I started to analyze and research the fantasy football quote industry. Uh, and I realized that there was a lot of more people that were doing this thing and writing columns and like doing stuff uh, on a full-time basis. So what I did was then for the next six months is I uh, started to put together a document that became the late round quarterback ebook and I would work my day job and then I'd go home at night and uh, I would work and grind on this, this ebook at night, it turned into this ebook and, and the, the reason I was really excited about it was again, you know, I have this graphic graphic and web design background, which you know, I kind of still do like lateround.com that I just launched. Like I designed that entire website and stuff. But, um, you know, I uh, at the time, you know, I had this skill set and I wanted to really like merge everything that like I 
had come from with the, the marketing background and, de- and degree, uh, this graphic and web design ability um, and, and this passion for fantasy football. And so I thought of this strategy uh, slash I had utilized the strategy of the late round quarterback for years and years, but it was at a time when analysts were saying that uh, it was a good idea to, to get quarterbacks early. It was after that 2011 season, there was a near lockout mm. um, and, and there were five quarterbacks with top two round ADPs at the time. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, this is just not logical. This is so reactionary. It doesn't make any sense to do this. And so what I did was I just, I, I wrote an ebook around this concept of drafting quarterbacks late. And I showed my work and I talked about different economic principles and stuff and different things that I learned in college. And I was able to, you know, at the time ebooks weren't like that big yet, like not as everywhere as they are right now. And where now you can just go download something and, you know, you get a PDF of something and it can be like responsive on your iPad if you're watching it on there. But at the time, there was no such thing as that. Like you would open a document and like, it didn't automatically fit the size of your iPad. It did not, but I knew how to code that and I knew how to design that. And so I knew I had an advantage uh, because not only was no one really doing this in the fantasy space, and not only was this sort of like an edgy thing to, to produce in terms of the strategy, but I also had this design element to it that uh, others I knew weren't going to be able to, to do. And so I sort of just put that all together, wrapped that up. And then in June 2012, I published the, the late round quarterback. And you knew that you had the skill set to do something different than what other people were doing. So how important do you think it is for people to take what they learn, the things that they know, and kind of use that or try to use that to because we bring up being creative all the time? Mm-hmm. I think that you can always repurpose anything that you've ever learned, like like whatever, even when you think that you you could be a zoologist and somehow find a way to make that relevant in what you do with fantasy football. And whether it's a singular piece of content that you do or whether it's a, a greater, greater good, piece, you know, just something that could could be totally life changing or something. I mean, it, I, I do think that that you can you can and you should always try to utilize uh, the things that you're good at. You know, when I, when people like come to me for advice and stuff and they'll say like, you know, I don't know if I should approach, uh, you know, should I build a model for prospects or should I watch film and chart them and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, what are you good at? Like, what, what do you, what are you actually like interested in and good at doing? And if you're not a numbers person and, you know, maybe you listen to the lay around podcast because you're not a numbers person and you want to know more about some numbers and you want to learn more about how to sort of analyze this stuff from a, in a numbers driven way. That's great. But if you're doing it yourself, it's probably best to double down on what you're really good at and, and, and find the things that you are good at and be very, very good at that thing so that you can stand out from the rest. Otherwise, you know, and I'm not saying like, don't go after something new. Like I do new things all the time, but I think that having a foundation and a backbone of something that you have that that's established that you know that you've built towards and that you're different in because you're so good at that thing, even if it's a very, very, very small thing. Um, I think utilizing that thing is really, really helpful in helping you stand out. And having your wife, who was your girlfriend at the time, kind of, she was supportive, I, I, I assume, based on, I, I'm getting ahead of myself. I did I did a little, you know, listening to p- bits of you on different podcasts and stuff to kind of get a feel for you know, what, what to really pick at, but your wife being a support system during that time, like some people were like, my wife is just sick of, you know, me working all the time on fantasy football and she doesn't get it. So how did your wife respond to all of that? You know, she's never questioned anything. I mean, like, like, like she just trusts me, right? Like that Mm -hmm. I'm doing something that is 
something I'm passionate about that I love, but also that I can be good at. Like she was more of a believer in what this could become than I was for sure. Like I had no, no idea at all. Like I, I was working at that. Ad, I had my second ad agency job whenever I wrote the late round quarterback and the second job that I had, like it was a, a smaller shop and the owner, um, she was awesome. She was just so supportive of everything. And I remember we had like an offsite and I was telling her that I'm publishing this ebook and it was like, sort of like out of nowhere. Cause it's not like she, you know, I'd only been there maybe for three or four months. And I, I don't think that they knew that like, I would go out and do something so much different than what my actual job was. Cause you know, writing something and like putting that together and writing an ebook, like it just didn't really match up with the fact that I was doing like graphic and web design and project management and stuff like that. Uh, but like her, you know, her reaction to that was just full blown support. And I was very lucky to, you know, have that uh, as well. You know, I just, I, I feel like there was a lot of, of people that believed in what I was doing more than I was when I first started. Um, you know, I've definitely gotten a lot more confident, you know, as the years have gone on, just because it's resonated with people and I, you know, you get feedback and uh, you, you, you fix whatever you're doing wrong and you get better at the things that, uh, you know, people are liking and such, and you sort of focus on that. Um, so now I'm getting like feedback from, from humans that I have, you know, I've never, I've never met before. Um, but you know, early on, I don't think I would have been able to do what I ended up doing without having that support at all. Like it was not only just like the, you know, it wasn't just like a, you know, kick in the butt, like you got this kind of thing. It was more so just like this, this like silent, like, like, you know, me saying, I'm going to work on this and no pushback, you know, it wasn't like a, Oh, but we got to do this or we get, it was just like a total understanding of what I was really trying to accomplish here. Um, and, and so I, yeah, I mean the, the support there, there was never a question. There was just total trust and there was more faith than, than I ever had. And that's just so awesome to have somebody in your life that can be like that for you. And going into something like that, that's brand new to you is scary. Were you concerned putting something out like that, that it wouldn't pick up any steam or did that not really bother you any? Yeah. So, you know, there, there were a lot of instances after I graduated college where even in college to some degree where I would come up with ideas because I, I like coming up with ideas. Like that's part of the reason why I got into marketing as well. I just like coming up with these ideas, I like building things and all that kind of stuff. And uh, again, I think it sort of like ties back to like me not doing the traditional jobs and stuff in high school, because I, I don't think that I've ever worked well. Like I've always been very, very well behaved, but mm -hmm. I don't work well with authority telling me what to do. If that makes yeah. sense. You know? no, that makes so like, sense. I was always really well behaved in high school and stuff. And I, I was, I never got in trouble. Like I was just a good, and my parents are so lucky because I was the youngest and I could have gotten away with so much stuff, but I just didn't. Um, but, but when it came to like, you know, work and job and, and like, like doing things to make money that you just didn't want to do objectively that no one wants to do, like no one wants to be a cashier, you know, like no one really wants to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, those kinds of things. I just did, I just didn't do well with like people like telling me what to do and like talking down to me and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so, and I, I never did very well with coaches that were like that either. That would just like scream at you. So I was never, I was never fearful of, uh, rejection per se. Yeah. Um, I was never fearful that it would fail because when after college and such, I would build a lot of things and they would fail. Like I built like really, really corny websites and stuff like, like where you would 
like I, I remember i had like a, a fantasy fail remember when like fail was like a big thing like like the meme just like someone failing like it was yeah. just everyone would say fail i had yeah. this like fantasy fails website where people would submit scores uh like screenshots of their scores where they like lost you know a bad beat or something at the last second and they would submit it and then it would populate on this website and whatever it was terrible um and i had all these like different random ideas that i would always just build out and then they'd fail and then i build out and they'd fail and I thought that this could be that there's a possibility of that happening. But what I learned was I didn't care if it failed from that perspective. Like if it was just bad, I don't, I don't really fear failure uh, all that much, What I fear more so. And what I did fear, not so much anymore. You kind of learned to get over it. But what I definitely feared then was just backlash from what people would think. Uh, um, like I'm only human and I, I care what people think about me. Um, like I, I, you know, as you grow older, you care less and less for sure. That's why old people are so rude and just don't care about, you know, what they, what, like how, how they interact with people. But for me, uh, you know, I, I, I worried that people would just look at me and be like, what in the world is this dude doing? And I know that they still do that. And I still feel that way to some degree. Like if I go meet someone, like I met new parents of, of my daughter's friends this past weekend and, and we talked about like what I did for a living and it's still almost like not embarrassing, but it's just like, I, they're not going to get it. Like people aren't going to get it. And they're going to think that like, I'm, I'm just, just like this completely worthless sack sitting on a couch all day while my wife works and makes a living and, and, and supports his family and stuff. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, if my wife were to support the family solely, I'm just saying that like, you know, I, I still have those like feelings still to this day. Um, and, and so back then it was that times a hundred because I had, I had nothing established, you know, I hadn't won in awards that people felt better about. Like, that's the thing too, is that like, like all of that kind of stuff, it's, it's not even like a, like, yeah, like a, you know, winning an award or something or like, like getting recognition in some way is great. And I feel mm -hmm. very great about it. But I, the sad part is it's almost like this is validation to other people that what I do for a living is worthwhile. And, and that's stupid. And I know that that's stupid. But that's like the feeling that I don't think will ever necessarily go away because, you know, you're human and you just think about what other people think. Right. right. Um, but, you know, it's, I've gotten better about like I'm very self-deprecating. And so, like, it's very easy for me to make fun of myself. I do it all the time on Twitter and just be like, yeah, this is my job. I cannot believe this is my job. Uh, and it's very strange and people don't believe that it's my job. Uh, but you know what? At the end of the day, I feel great. I feel fulfilled. I'm meeting great people. I'm having conversations with you. Um, and it's, it's, it's awesome from that perspective. Um, but when I launched the ebook, you know, the general feeling was just like, it wasn't fear of failure. It was fear of what other people would think. Had you ever done any writing before putting this out? Never. That was another thing. Like I, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think that it's a mark of a, someone who's self-aware slash someone who's improving their skill. When you look back at something that you worked on five years ago, six years ago, even two years ago, and you say that sucks like that, that it's just terrible. Right. Like, mm -hmm. like I look back at some of the stuff that I did two years ago, three years ago, whatever. And I'm like, this is horrible. And it, and part of it is because, you know, I'm getting better at the skill myself. I look back at that in 2012 after having not written anything really aside from like college papers and stuff. And I, you know, I have a fairly creative mind. I can, I can write creatively, but I'm by, you know, at the time I was by no means a writer. I had a buddy of mine who uh, edited it and really helped me out and helped me like find my voice 
through that uh, through that book um, and throughout that. Um, so yeah, I had no writing experience at all, which was probably just another reason that just compiled. I'm like, like people are going to read this and just, you know, they're going to, because anytime you put something creative out there, you're exposing yourself to some degree and, yeah. uh, and you're allowing for that criticism to, to come in after being vulnerable. And even if it's as something as dumb as fantasy football, like you're still doing that to some degree. So when people consume that, um, you know, they learn a little bit more about you and to some, to, in, in some way and stuff. And that's just another reason why it's just like, what are these people going to think about this and about the fact that I just put together a 120 page ebook on fantasy football. Um, and, and I think that all just sort of like played in, you know, the inexperience of it all. And then, uh, you know, just the, the, the idea that they're just going to think that I'm a weirdo. Well, none of us thought that because uh, it picked up steam and, and, and it did a, you know, it's how did, that's what I want to know really is how were you able to get it out and promote it with it being, you know, new to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my, my pro again, this is where like, I think some of the marketing background helped me a little bit early on, you know, number one, the fantasy industry was a lot different back then than it is now. Like right now mm -hmm. it's, it's really saturated. There's a lot of people who do things in my opinion, kind of a crummy way um, in an annoying way. Uh, but back then it was a little bit more wide open to, to be able to get your voice out there easier to get your voice out there. You know, now there's a lot of platforms for you to do it for sure. So, yeah. you know, there's more like full-time jobs, if you will, right now, like in, in the fantasy space, just because it's bigger and there's more, but there's also just more people. So it's just as competitive, like that hasn't necessarily changed. Um, but yeah, I mean, like the way that I viewed it was, you know, I went on Twitter first. I started a Twitter account, uh, which is the one that I have now. And I just started tweeting about stuff and I would just join in conversations that people were having about different players and stuff. And sort of the way that I viewed it, and maybe this is like the wrong way and almost like a competitive way, but it wasn't really me being competitive about it. It was me more so just like being a goal setter and trying to achieve different things. But what I would do was I would find different people that I follow that I would follow who had just a few, you know, a few hundred more followers than I did. So let's say that I started with zero. I'd find someone who had a hundred, right? And I would latch on and, and get to know that person because they were closer to me and what I thought at the time, you know, that it, it mattered, uh, you know, how they would view me versus I view them with a certain follower count or whatever. Um, and so I would basically like latch onto them and I'd use them as like, I was, I always use the metaphor of it being like a rung on a ladder and I'm like going to them as the first rung. And then once I sort of build my audience up to, to get to, to where they're at, I continue to find other people because they're going to think that I have more credibility because I have more people following me, which again, probably not the total right outlook. Um, you know, I, I, I being where I'm at now, don't think that way at all. Um, but you know, it's just the way that my mentality was. So I would just basically like make a ton of connections with people, um, and try to leverage their audience and not do it in a way where I'm like stealing their audience, but do it in a way where I'm giving them something as well. So I fortunately had a product that I could share with them or give them or allow them to do giveaways. And that was the late round quarterback ebook. And so the ebook, I would do so many promos about like, you know, retweet this and I'll give this away to a random person who retweets it. Or, you know, this person who is another analyst, I gave them a copy. They're going to give away a copy of this book if you follow me and blah, 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 blah. So I just mm -hmm. did that for a while um, for a, a good summer, basically, because I, I launched it in June 2012. And then that summer I was blogging every single day on lateroundqb.com. Uh, I was just putting content out there as much as possible. Um, and then, uh, you know, eventually the season happens and it just so happens that the season was one 
that was like perfect for the late round quarterback strategy. Like it was, it was the year Russell Wilson and Andrew Luck and RG three were rookies. Um, and, and they all like performed and were good. And a lot of the guys who people drafted early just kind of stunk. And it just, it ended up being a very, very good season for the late round quarterback strategy. Part of me is like, Oh, I got really lucky. And then part of me is like, no, well, this is the whole point of the strategy. Is that like, it's supposed to work, right? Like this is, yeah. this is what's supposed to happen. There's right. logic behind all of this. Right. And yeah. so uh, I've had a lot of thoughts about that too. Like how lucky was it that that was the season that all, that all happened, but I'm like, yeah. whatever, it's not going to really change anything. Um, so I just did that like throughout the full first like season of me, um, you know, being out there, I think, uh, I joining conversation was really important kind of looking at sort of people that you wanted to be and, and goals you want to achieve in terms of, of followership, not necessarily like personalities, but just like yep. people who have had a certain audience and trying to, to attack that audience and achieve that audience. Um, and then, you know, fortunately the content was good throughout the season on my blog. And then, uh, you know, the late round quarterback strategy just ended up working. Yeah. I think that might've been the season I started playing fantasy football. Cause I remember all that. And I, I, I found out about all, all that you were doing pretty early on in putting out everything because I used to listen, you know, I still listen, but you know, like I was like the fan that was like hardcore listening to you and, and getting advice and everything. And, and having, having, you know, you put that out and you talking about like men, you know, finding people and, and networking, talking to people. That's, that's so key and clutch with Twitter, but there's a lot of people who are, scared to network basically they yeah. don't know how to go about it or that you know they don't want to come off rude or whatever how can somebody go about networking without coming off too you know too much too much yeah i mean like i'm the same way i'm i'm super non-confrontational like i i don't like approaching people and asking them to go on shows or approaching people and asking them for any sort of advice because mm -hmm. i think that i'm just just a disturbance to their life and and it's <laughs> You know, I, I think that the bottom line with it is that it's just not true. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that that people are, you know, I, I, the, the, the switch sort of flipped for me um, a handful of years ago. I mean, it wasn't like recent necessarily, but it's just this recognition that everyone's human and that if they're if they're horrible people that aren't going to give you advice, then whatever. Like they're just mm -hmm. they're, or, or who, who will who will be rude to you in some way then it's just like, like what's even the point of being frustrated that this person after sending some or, you know, asking something so innocent, what's even the point of being like frustrated over that. Right. Um, so I, I think it's more, it's, it's, it's partially just like, you know, I wouldn't even say it's confidence necessarily. Cause I don't, I don't really have that confidence. Like I, I have imposter syndrome. I have a lot of, of problems when it comes to anything that's like confidence related um, but I, but I think that when you sort of just like view humanity in a relatively positive way, it can really change the way that you go about those interactions and those, like those micro interactions that you get, even when you're at like a conference or something and you don't want to really go up to someone and start talking to them about something that you're doing or whatever, you know, you have to always realize that, that those people can get something from you too. Uh, because at the end of the day, we're, we're all human here. Like we're all trying to do the same thing, right? Like it's, it's no, like what, what someone is trying to achieve in the fantasy industry after starting last year is no different than where I was 
in 2013. The only difference is probably that they were born in, in a different year and they're realizing mm -hmm. it just later than I did because either they realize it later in life or they're the exact same age that I was back then. And they're realizing at the exact same time that I did. Like, you know, I just think that just being, uh, just, just having that realization of everyone is, is just like you makes it a lot easier to approach those conversations. And that, I mean, that does make a whole lot of sense. I see a lot of younger people in the fantasy football industry space right now. And, and they probably did come around the same kind of thought process you did with, Hey, you know, this is something I can do. So that's pretty rad. Um, when did you decide though, that you wanted to go full-time and, or how did you decide? Yeah. So, you know, it was pretty easy for me. Um, you know, first off, I was really, really lucky. There was a, a lot of things that sort of converged. Like I said, like I had the success the first like six or seven months after the book published. And then I got, I remember I got noticed by Evan Silva when he was at Roto World, NBC Sports. Um, and I did a series on NBC Sports that first year after I published the ebook on uh, quarterbacks and quarterback value. I did like a five part series that was like, I still have screenshots from it. It was like such a surreal like <laughs> moment. Um, and then uh, a few months after that, I got recruited by pro football focus when Mike clay was still a pro football focus. Um, and I, I wrote three articles for PFF, I want to say, and then I got a call from number fire, which, um, the story of number fire is Nick Bonadio, who's the CEO of number fire was the CEO of number fire. He founded it. He went on who wants to be a millionaire when it was one of like Regis's like comeback episodes. <laughs> and he won a hundred thousand dollars on who wants to be a millionaire. Nick did. And Nick took that and used it as seed money for number fire. And so he started number fire with this a hundred thousand dollars and uh, they needed someone to sort of like run content. And the crazy part is, is Nick grew up. He's like, he's, he graduated high school with my brother. And so oh. he knew my brother, they were, they were friends in high school. They weren't like super, super tight. He knew my brother. And so when he saw me like on Twitter at one point, he recognized the last name because it's such a unique last name. And he's mm -hmm. like, wow, I wonder if this is, um, you know, my, my, my was Mark's brother, my brother's name. Um, and, and so there was a connection there. And then also he had hired someone to be an engineer, uh, that I was friends with in high school. So one of my high school friends worked at number fire, Nick, they, we had all graduated from the same high school, just different years. Like my, I had my one friend who graduated the same year as me. And then Nick was seven years before us. Um, and so he just interviewed me and it was a fit, you know, it was, it was a startup. Um, you know, I, I was still so young that there wasn't that much of an opportunity cost in like leaving my job. There wasn't that much, I, I had no real, um, like obligations in life aside from living in an apartment with my wife or girlfriend at the time, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so it was really easy for me to just be like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm just not going to do this other job anymore. Make comparable enough money. Cause I was young, you know, more entry level type stuff. So it wasn't like I had to make a big sacrifice financially. And so I just made the jump and went over to number fire. It's an awesome story. I, I really didn't know the whole backstory of number fire and how it came, you know, to be. So that's, that's really, crazy. yeah, that's really crazy. Um, you brought up your last name. How often do people mispronounce your last name? All the time. I, I got you know, it's funny. Earlier tonight, we were outside on my my back porch eating dinner, and uh, my daughter, who's three, was walking around saying her name's Avery, and she was going around saying Avery Zachariason. And we're like, that's not how you say it. She's like, well, that's how everyone else says it. And I was like, well, that doesn't mean that that's how you say it. That's not how you actually say it. But it, it gets to the point where you just like, 
I mean, like literally 98% of the time people say it wrong. Yeah. Um, and I just don't, it's just not worth correcting at this point anymore. Well, so is that why you go by, is that why you go by JJ? Because it's a lot easier. To... Yeah, it's a lot easier. Yeah, yeah I just, my, my kid, you're always, just... Yeah. I was just born into JJ. My, my family yeah. just called me that uh, right away. And I just, you know, went by it instead of going by my, my given name, which I never, I never go out and tell people my, my, like they can Google it if they want to see what my actual name is. It's not that hard to find out what my first name is. JJ stands for Jerry Jones. You heard it here first. All right. Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones. Jones. That's right. <laughs> um, okay. So going into uh, a full-time role in the fantasy industry is something that a lot of people aspire to do. A lot of people's dreams and you're getting to live it. And it's so cool to be able to see what, what you're doing and everything. What kind of advice do you have for those people that are, kind of in your same in that same boat that you were and they want to make that plunge and they're just not 100 sure you know because you weren't <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i i think that at the end of the day it's really helpful to have skill sets that are not just i'm an analyst and i i write content and i produce content i think that it's a little bit easier to do that now but it's still better from an employer standpoint when they're going to hire someone that if you can say, yeah, I can analyze this stuff and I can write content, but I can also manage an, an editing team, or I can also, you know, do a little bit of web development, or I can also do data analysis for you. Um, you know, I, I think that if you have that extra skills, especially, you know, I, I worked in a startup with number fire and I was like employee six or something like that at number fire. And uh, you know, my job for the first five or six years of my quote full-time career in the fantasy industry was not at all just analyzing fantasy football. I think a lot of people assumed that like, Oh, you're producing this content, you know, and you're doing this, you're doing that. Um, and it's all consumer facing that they assumed that that was what I did, that that was my entire job. But honestly, like 80% of my job was going out, finding writers, recruiting writers, uh, you know, teaching them and, and making sure that we were all, uh, you know, looking at the same goals and goal setting with the the site on Numberfire and making sure that it all looked good and was all on brand and, um, you know, the content was statistically sound and all that kind of stuff and, and working with writers constantly. And again, this is startup life. Like, like I, I'm not, I, I, I think that the, like the, the grind uh, sort of like attitude that folks have and like the, the mentality of, of just like grinding work constantly I think it's BS. Like I, I, I really am not like this true believer that you just got to like work, 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 like forget your family, push them aside. Just work, 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 work. <laughs> like, I just, I, I think it's just played out a little bit. Like you can be efficient with what you do and you can still be very good with what you do without like destroying yourself. And you can also find and pick and choose, you know, your lane or like a, a specific job that you might want to do that, that doesn't necessarily um, equate to that. But I will say like, you know, I was fortunate that I was in my t early to mid twenties at the time. Like I got hired when I was 24 years old uh, mm -hmm. at number fire. And it's a lot easier to work 18 hour days when you're 24 years old than it is when you're 34 years old and you have a family, you know, <laughs> um, it's just a totally different outlook and it's a totally different, you know, you have different, again, different obligations. Um, and so at the time, you know, I feel like, you know, I was, very, very lucky to be able to get a job so young in the space. And mm -hmm. I was able to, again, it goes back to like when I had that fork in the road and I decided to go uh, the fantasy sports route. 
Um, and that happened at such an early age because otherwise I don't know if I would have had the drive and like the will to like work the way that I worked because when we were a startup, that's, that's what happens at startups. Cause your goal is to get purchased and get bought at the end of the day. And, or at least be really, really well self-sustained that you can just hire, 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 and just get mm-hmm. more and more money. Um, so really, you know, there's a lot of hard work for sure, but I don't think I would have been hired by number fire if not for having the background that I did and like the understanding that I did about uh, web dev and the understanding that I did about like, like I had already managed a team of, of writers at late round QB.com that first year. Um, and so I was able to leverage that and say, I could do this at number fire. Like I could mm-hmm. do the same thing over and over. And if you have that sort of differentiated background, it's a lot easier to get a job. And how do you make sure that you don't get burned out? I know it's not work, all work, work, work. So how do you make sure you balance everything? Yeah. I mean, like now I'm definitely, I don't, I mean, I get burned out a little bit during football season for sure, but you know, now I've, I've just found a rhythm to, to have a good work-life balance. Cause I think it's just ungodly important. Um, and, and I, I treasure that. Like I, I'm one of those people that, you know, I have the joke with the East coast dad stuff about, uh, not getting sleep whenever games go late and stuff, but I treasure sleep. Like sleep is very important to me. Like I, I need to get seven or eight hours of sleep. Um, so, you know, now it's, it's a little bit different, but back then again, like I, I didn't, I mean, I, I don't want to say I didn't have a balance, but you know, I just had a different mentality and mindset. Mm-hmm. Like there's no doubt that the first three years of my career, about three years, um, I worked a lot. Like I remember, you know, I was living in Cincinnati at the time whenever I first got this job and, um, our families were still in Pittsburgh and we went to Pittsburgh for Thanksgiving or we were driving through Pittsburgh. And I remember, you know, Thanksgiving, we have a shorter work week for Thanksgiving and there's football that goes on on Thanksgiving. And I remember the first year that I was the, that I was editor in chief at number fire, I wrote every single primer and ever just, just, I, I worked for, I, I wrote in the car from Cincinnati to Pittsburgh. It's like a five hour drive. And then I got to my wife's place, my in-laws house. And I worked for another like five hours until like four or five in the morning, just like writing stuff. And like the payoff was not even close to there. Like it just was not important, but it was more so me just like needing to show my worth of like what I, you know, it it was me in my own head to show my worth, but it was my way of like getting the content that we needed to get out. Even if it didn't have an immediate payoff, I knew that there was like equity being built there in some way. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like, I'm not going to like hide from the fact that early on I worked a lot, like just, just a lot. Like it was a, it, it was just what I really, really wanted to do. I enjoyed doing it. But then you start to like, you start to realize once you do get that burnout, um, I, I think what's really key is self-awareness and your ability to delegate and your ability to, to give things up. I think this is true in every job uh, where you take on too much and you are uh, too afraid to go to your boss and say, I have too much work on my plate because then your boss, you're afraid that your boss is going to come back and say, well, that's BS. You don't have enough work. And then you, you know, you look bad as an employee. Um, but if you know that you're doing really good work and you feel good about it, I think that you can feel confident, like doing that kind of thing and being open and honest about that. And so what I realized really early on, so I, I didn't end up getting totally burnt out was that, Oh wow, you know, I could I could write content, sure, but I don't have to write all the content. I can recruit writers and I can get them to uh, help me, and we can work towards things so that I'm not doing this one singular thing all the time. I'm able to sort of spread my 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 brain around doing all these different things, where you know I'm recruiting, and then uh, you know I am writing a little bit, and then I'm editing a little bit, um, and I'm wearing a lot of hats as opposed to like 
really honing in and just like getting crushed everywhere. Um, and so I started recruiting a little bit more. I built like these systems internally at number fire to uh, streamline things a little bit better and be more efficient with how we recruit and how we bring writers on and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I just try to become more and more efficient. Um, so I think that if, if there's anyone who's like burnt out, I would say take a step back and try to find areas where you can be more efficient with your job. You know, if there aren't areas where you can, then have that conversation with your superior. But, um, you know, if there are areas where you can try to get creative and try to outsource some of that stuff to help you, because, you know, there's no reason that I should have ever been writing baseball content, which I did for a little while. Like I learned, I read books and books. I like reintroduced <laughs> myself to baseball stuff um, and like read about sabermetrics and stuff just so that I could write content about that. But then I had this realization. I'm like, why would we not just get someone to write baseball content who already knows this stuff? And then I don't have to worry about it, you know? Um, so it was really just about finding efficiencies within the job uh, that really helped me not totally, totally burn out. And when did you decide, make the jump into podcasting and putting out that content? Yeah. So um, back in 2013, uh, I was on Twitter and I saw Denny Carter. Um, he was at like some football expo in New Jersey. Um, and he was like live tweeting it. Like Michael Vick it was when Michael Vick was really big in fantasy. And I think Michael Vick was there. Um, but Denny just had like a really unique sort of like spin on things and like the way that he would report things from that conference. And so I started following him and then we just started talking. And, you know, as a lot of people who have stumbled into podcasts in the fantasy space do, you know, they just start a show um, and you just have these conversations. You're like, Hey, you want to start a podcast? Sure. Let's start a podcast. And so Denny and I started living the stream, I think in 2013. Um, and that was my first like introduction to podcasting aside from like going on other people's shows and stuff. Um, and so I started doing that with Denny. That was a blast. It's still going on, still a blast. Um, but it wasn't until I think 2016 or 2017, 2016, maybe when, uh, when I started the late round podcast, which mm -hmm. was, you know, it's become like my baby at this point. Like I put so much effort into that thing. Um, and, and that was really me just, you know, seeing within FanDuel because at that time, uh, number fire had been bought by FanDuel, but, uh, me seeing within FanDuel that we needed to really get into the audio space. And so, went to my boss and I said, we got to start a, a network. We got to start podcasting. And I have an idea for my show uh, that I want to do pitched him my idea. Um, and then, you know, that was that. So I, I've still had those two podcasts. Like those are the only two shows that I do. Um, I did have one show with FanDuel when we first got bought. That was like for one football season that I think it was like called like FanDuel by the numbers or something like that. Um, but it wasn't like a, it was, it was more so like a branded thing as opposed to like an individual thing. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I just got into living the stream and in, in the late round podcast and those things are just still, still going strong. And yeah, I mean, you just came up on 600 and whatever, 70 or whatever it was. Something like with, that. With, yeah. yeah. Like with, so, um, having a co-host and, and, you know, feeding off of each other and everything, it, it being somebody that you just started following on Twitter and then saw, you know, what he was putting out and everything, why did you think that you two coming together would work? And I mean, was it a little awkward at first when seeing somebody face to face that you're not really like in the same room with or anything like that? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I mean, I, I, the, the thing is though, is that the whole thing was awkward. And I think because, because I wasn't experienced doing it at all. Um, mm -hmm. And so the whole thing was awkward. So I didn't really think necessarily about like the individual person who I was talking to. I was just thinking about the whole thing. Cause I just felt uncomfortable the entire time. Like I, you know, 
people will like listen, you know, again, I've done like 600, whatever shows, the late round podcast. Mm-hmm. I've done like 300 living the stream episodes. I go on podcasts all the time. I've done thousands of podcast episodes in my life. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that people would listen and say, Oh, he's probably just used to doing it. And I am at this point, I'm used to going on podcasts and I have a great time on podcasts. I think it's the best medium for me personally. Um, but I remember the first podcast episode that I did, I was a guest and I was nervous as all hell. I mean, I, I, I was out of my mind nervous to the point where I had to drink two beers and I'm not even like that kind of like drinker, right? Like I've never been like that. And I was like, I need to calm down. And so I remember drinking two beers. I sat in my closet, my Cincinnati apartment, and that's where I podcasted from. (laughs) And, and, and so like, if you feel those feelings, it's totally normal to feel those feelings, but I just felt those feelings of just like being uncomfortable just generally. So I didn't let it like necessarily like let my brain say, Oh, it's weird. Also talking to Denny, but I got lucky too. Cause Denny is the easiest person on the planet to talk to. He loves making fun of himself. He loves just having a good time. Yeah. So it's really not hard to do a show with him. And it wasn't that hard from the start because it was him. Well, he has, there's tons of parody accounts out there for mm-hmm. him. Uh, do you ever get jealous that you don't have the grand following of parody accounts yeah. that he does? Yeah. You know, it's funny. People actually think that like Denny makes those, like, <laughs> like, like how sick of a human being do you think Denny is to make all of the yeah, parody right? accounts? I mean, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I, it's so funny. Cause at one point when it was like peak parody account, <clears throat> we would have like a random episode where Denny would have some random take that we didn't even remember him having after we were done recording the show. And then there would be an account based on that take like 24 hours later. It was just a constant, constant thing. It slowed down a little bit, but yeah, it's hilarious. And they're just everywhere. There's like, there's probably, everywhere. I mean, there's gotta be like a hundred of them now. <laughs> it, I, that is one thing about Twitter. Like they get on a trend and here we go. That, that, that I, I love seeing those little, his little, you know, picture on everybody. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's weird, but it's cool. Um, <laughs> so, um, your act, the podcast that you do on your own is late round podcast, and it's not a lengthy podcast at all. Uh, what made you decide to do a, a shorter style of podcasting? Yeah. You know, it wasn't necessarily like, well, I, I should say the first thing that I did whenever I started the show was I knew I wanted to do a solo show of some sort. Like I would bring on guests. Sure. But I wanted to be branded me. I wanted it to be uh, something that I could really like work on and, and make uh, interesting and different. And so I just did a, a quick analysis of the entire fantasy space. Um, and I realized that th- the fantasy space was just filled with hour, hour and a half long shows. There's nothing wrong. I mean, I was one of them, right? Living the stream is one of those shows where yep. it's an hour long and uh, you have two people talking to each other and uh, we're giving advice and such. And that's that. I just realized that there was something missing out there where there wasn't a show that was more bite-sized in nature that you could just get everything that you needed and you were done. And it would, it was very sort of compact. And so, you know, the first few episodes that I did of, of the late round podcast, I, I didn't edit them the same way that I edit them now. Um, I, that that's been sort of like a, an evolution of sorts where now it's very much a, I mean, if you listen to the show, I, I'm not stuttering whenever I'm saying where I'm, I'm it's because I'm re saying things over and over again to make sure that the cadence is right and that it all makes sense and that it's, it's, it's very structured well and that you're, there are no ums, buts and, or any of that. Um, mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, I uh, obviously right now you can hear me. I'm, I'm like thinking through what I want to say and like, I'm saying, uh, and, blah, and, and all that kind of stuff, but that's all gone. <laughs> that's all gone with the lay around podcast because I'm trying to make it as to the point 
as short and as consumable as humanly possible. And so when I set out to do that show, you know, the other thing that I realized too, is that a lot of fantasy shows are like AFC North breakdown, NFC North breakdown, and like sleepers of the week, or, you know, just very like generic stuff. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Again, like if that's your passion or if that's like what you want to do and like, you're cool with it, like that's fine. But I knew that to stand out and to make it a little bit different, I should dive deeper into like really interesting and different topics. Like, you know, I've done studies on handcuffing running backs and whether handcuffing is a good strategy, right? That was one of my early ones in the late round podcast that I did. And like, I'll, I'll dig into ver- these like very specific topics as opposed to, especially during the off season, as opposed to, you know, uh, and I'll still do the generic, like free agency fallout type podcast, but uh, you know, it's, it's not just a player analysis driven thing. It's a, uh, you know, you're going to get studies, you're going to get deeper analysis that you can't necessarily get on other shows. And I think the only way that you can really portray those types of studies in an efficient and in a way that people can really walk away and be like, whoa, I learned something here is if you do approach it sort of the way that I'm approaching it, where you approach it from the, a standpoint of like, I'm cutting all the BS in this so that people don't get distracted. Right. Because right. if you're going through a study and you have people like, conversing throughout it, your mind starts to go everywhere and you can't really comprehend what they're saying. And so Mm -hmm. I think the only, you know, again, it was sort of like a trial. There's a trial period where I'm just like trying different things and seeing what, what sort of works. And then I finally just like, you know, probably like episode 10 or 11 or something. I just like found my voice within that show and what I knew that I needed to do. And I had the realization too, that a lot of people probably wouldn't like the style. Like there's, you know, I, I, I actually go around (laughs) I, I, uh, I've talked to my buddy, Rich Rebar, Lord Reeves, who everyone knows on Twitter. I I've had a lot of conversations with, with him about this, where I will Google my name or my podcast with Reddit and I will see <laughs> what people are saying about me on Reddit. And I will just, I will, I'll just lurk. I'll just see yeah. what there's because it's free. It's free feedback. It's free criticism, right? Like, it's just like, like, Yes, Reddit is is accessible at times. I understand. Like it's not the best <laughs> place in the world at times, but like when they when people know that I'm not necessarily not necessarily uh conversing with them. Like if you're on Twitter and you get a troll, you know the troll is directly adding you, right? Like yeah. he the, he or she is, is coming directly at you to get under your skin. Whereas if someone starts a thread on Reddit and is like, "What do you think about the late round podcast?" and people are saying X Y and Z about it, then I'm getting feedback that's free right. and that's completely unedited and they're not trying to get at me. They're just saying like, you know, it's unfiltered and this is what I believe about this show. There's a ton of value in that. And I do that all the time and I'll comment then, you know, I'll, after, you know, if someone says like something good, I'll just respond to them and be like, thanks, appreciate the support. Like that kind of stuff. <laughs> but like, like at the end of the day, like getting that feedback was so helpful for me to understand not just how to improve the show, but how people would react to the show and how people would uh, view me in the way that I'm presenting this information. And so what I learned was that the way that I present that information, because you're doing it solo, like a lot of the stuff that I'm doing is solo on that show. So I have to be like overly enthusiastic whenever I'm talking about things or else it's going to be a really, really boring show. And you can tell right now, by the way, I'm talking, I'm generally a pretty enthusiastic person, but like, like you have to be, when it's just you carrying a show, it's gotta be, and through, there, there has to be that enthusiasm. The problem is some people view that as me having quote an annoying voice, right? Like there's, there's some things that like, like, and I, I get it though. Like it's not, I don't necessarily see it as like this giant dig. I see it as, you know, this is the way this show is formatted. 
you're not coming at me and saying like, you're a horrible person. You're just saying that the way that this is broken down and the way that you're presenting this information doesn't resonate with me. And that's mm-hmm. fine. If it's resonating with 99% of people, then I'm probably going to keep doing it that way. Right. Yeah. And it ha- and fortunately it has been a, a success for me. And so, um, you know, I, I like taking that feedback and, and just being very self-aware that, that not everyone's going to be cool with it. Like it's not going to be a show that everyone loves and you have to just be realistic about that. I mean, even the most successful podcast in the space, the fantasy footballers, they get a ton of hate all the time for the way that mm-hmm. they approach things. But, you know, as long as you are cultivating an audience that loves you for you, loves the stuff that you're doing and appreciates the stuff that you're doing, that's all you can ask for at the end of the day. And I am a fan of your podcast because my commute's a short commute. So I don't have to like stop listening to the podcast because by the time I pull up to work, it's done, you know? So yeah, Rich, Rich always says that I'm the, I'm a shower podcast. There you you go. Yeah. I'm the the perfect length for the, for the shower podcast. Mm -hmm. Okay. There you go. Uh, And yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, sometimes we have to listen to podcasts when we have the time and that's sometimes the time. So, um, but doing a solo podcast and then doing a podcast where you have a co-host what is the biggest challenge that you found? I, I know the enthusiastic voice and everything, but what is the biggest challenge you found on doing a solo podcast versus doing the, the, with the co-host? Yeah. Uh, I would say the toughest thing is that I don't, so I, I don't know if people realize this or not, but I produce and edit everything for the late round podcast. And I always have like from the time at FanDuel, to now being on my own, like I, I have produced that thing uh, and edited it myself the the entire time. Um, and, and the thrill slash craziness slash like the, the, the heebie jeebie feeling that I get is that I'm the only one listening to it before it goes out. Like yeah. I, it's just me. It's only me. No one listens to the show before it goes out. And so I usually publish it for the next, so I'll like record, you know, if it's a Tuesday show, I'll record it Monday, edit it, and then it's ready to go for Tuesday morning. So it'll go out at like 6 a.m. I wake up around 7 a.m. And so I know if something went wrong with the show, I'll see it in my mentions when I wake up in the morning. That's basically like my, my te- every morning I wake up the day of a, of a podcast release and I'm like, please don't have any mentions. Please don't have any mentions of, of people yelling about the show right now. <laughs> um, so like the difference, the difference is just that you get that immediate feedback whenever you have a co-host. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't get that at all when I... Uh, do it alone. But it's, there's like a, a genuine, like, this is why I know that I'm in the right space and I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing because I get so unbelievably excited when I know that I have a good show that's about to go out. Like yeah. I did a, a study a few weeks ago on like how, um, what, what happens to players when they drop in, in ADP one year to the next in dynasty. And I knew that that show was going to really hit for people. And I was just so excited to get it out. And so like, it, it's honestly like a Christmas morning type feeling when I'm the only one that knows that this is about to happen, I, you know, mm-hmm. I'll share it with some friends and stuff and like explain what the study is, whatever, who love fantasy football. But, you know, at the end of the day, no one's really heard it. And then whenever I get that feedback in and it's, it's positive feedback, especially is good. But when I get that feedback in, then uh, it's just a really like thrilling experience, just a totally, totally different experience because of that feedback loop. Yeah, for real. And having people message you and tell you that they enjoy your podcast or that your podcast has helped them out. When you get a message like that, what goes on in your head when you see that from other people? I'm grateful. I mean, like period. I I still, I still like, 
you know, I try to respond to every single person that would say something like that, whether I'm on Reddit and just seeing people saying things like I, you can go look at my, my Reddit username and look at like comments that I've made. And it's just me thanking people because it's just, I mean, it's just, it's very nice. It's very nice for people to like go to my mentions or go to Twitter and literally, you know, at me and say, thank you for, for doing this thing. Cause I'm, I'm grateful that they're listening. Cause if they didn't listen, then I would not have a job. Right. Like it, it's, right. you know, if you lose sight of that, uh, I think that's when you're starting to get broken a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I would not be able to do these things if not for an audience, like period, an audience that now is directly giving me money, uh, for, for what I'm doing. And like, I have to be realistic about that. There's no reason. The, the other thing too, is that like, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't view what I do as anything like super special. Um, I, I think that I got lucky and fortunate and, you know, I worked at it for sure, but you know, I'm fortunate that like, I'm actually able to sit and analyze this stuff and look at things in a certain way. I do think that I, you know, I have an ability to come up with like creative ideas and stuff like that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like trying to sell myself short, but at the same time, like, I think a lot of people could come up with really cool things if their job was this, you know, if they're, if they didn't have their nine to five, where they could dedicate all the, that that effort into, and so when people say those, you know, give me give me gratitude for what I'm doing, you know, I I view it as like I'm their person that's doing the thing that they wish that they would be able to do during the day, but they just can't get to, and so I'm giving them those shortcuts. You know, I'm just mm-hmm. helping them out. Like we're in this together. My my whole philosophy with this, with this and and why I approach things in such like a process driven perspective is that like I want to go on this journey with you. You know, this is not a like I want to learn with you as I go on. When I do these studies, I'm learning too. And I'm adding these things to my arsenal so that we can go back to it and reference it and uh, you know have that backbone with how we approach fantasy football. But I have no idea how certain studies are going to go whenever I start analyzing them. It's just that like I, at the end of the day, like want to have this experience with everyone. And that's why, you know, I try to be as transparent as possible with what I do and how I approach things. You know, I published the late round prospect guide recently and I was able to be very transparent about what goes into my model, my process with everything. That was the first time I was really able to do that with prospects in particular, but I love doing that thing because I think that that builds a relationship with your audience a lot better than you sitting, you know, sitting there on a podcast being like, you have to draft this guy without giving any sort of like explanation or without like having that backbone or like letting people see how you got to that conclusion. I think if you're able to go on that journey with other people, it's a lot more rewarding in general. And you brought up the prospect guide. So when people go to lateround.com to purchase that, what exactly does it all entail? Yeah. So uh, I have a prospect model that I've built over the last four or five years. Um, and it's gotten a lot of iterations. I'd say two years ago is finally like where I'm, I'm feeling good about it and it's gotten good results and stuff. Um, but what the prospect guide is, is I walk through what my model is all about, what goes into my model, why I put the things in my model that I put in, uh, how well it's done in terms of like, is it better than draft capital? Is it better than rookie ADP and all that kind of stuff? So I explain the model and then I have player profiles for 76 players who went to the combine for running backs and wide receivers. And then I also have a year two model, which is basically looking at prospect score for a player and then how they performed in year one as rookies. And it Mm -hmm. spits out a score as to how they're going to do in years two and three. So I have profiles of 25 guys for that as well. So there's about 140 pages or so of of content in this thing that I just kind of worked on the last couple of months and, and, you know, was, was finally able to like put a product out there with late round fantasy football that I hadn't been able to do while working at FanDuel. 
that's I, I, yeah i pulled it up when you started talking about it i had it already up and um yeah you guys and lots of nerdy stuff lots of nerdy stuff is what yeah. so you gotta yeah. make sure uh so you also have a draft guide that you're going to be releasing as well uh can you tell everybody more about that too yeah so um hopefully i'll be able to you'll be able to pre-order it in may um but it's gonna be you know there's a lot of draft guides out there i recognize that you know a lot of people do really good work but i think that what i've sort of done from like a content creation standpoint and what people listen to me for and stuff is the studies that I do and sort of like the, 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 the backbone and the foundation of how I approach fantasy football. So this draft guide is going to be seasonal. It's going to be all season long focus, but um, there's going to be a lot of strategy related stuff in it. Uh, it's not just going to be like, you know, here's rankings and here's player profiles for all these guys. It's going to be like why you should attack your draft in this way, what the running back dead zone is, why you should draft your quarterbacks in this range and all that kind of stuff. So it's going to be very, very strategy focused. And then I will still have player profiles and stuff, but I think that's what's going to sort of differentiate it from other ones you might be able to get on the market is just that um, there's going to be a little bit more strategy to it and game theory um, items in it that you might not be able to get elsewhere. Excellent. So yeah, definitely something to check out. Um, And I just want to, focus a little bit on how life may have changed for you when COVID-19 became the thing to shut everything down. And we were, you know, working from home and doing all this stuff. How did your life change? How did it work? And, you know, you brought up that you have a daughter and, you know, you have your wife. So how did it change for you? And what did you have to tweak to kind of get things the way you wanted them to be? Yeah. I mean, like, I feel like being a parent during that period this period you know it's still present tense um mm-hmm. i feel like it was definitely a challenge that no one is really prepared for you have no idea how to really handle it um it, it's not so much the fear of it all it's it's also just like like the the wanting to make the right decision for your child um that that's like it, it's not necessarily like the fear of what it all is like everyone feels that you know everyone feels the the general pandemic feel or fear but really, uh, you know, you just want to look back 10 years from now and be like, you know, I made the right choices throughout, right? Like I didn't do yeah. anything stupid or I was logical through this. So uh, we played it pretty conservatively because, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, we had no idea what the heck was going on with this virus. We didn't right. know what it did to people. You know, everyone's scrubbing down their groceries and stuff whenever they went <laughs> yeah. out. Um, yep. And, you know, we were that. We, we did that. We were too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so we ended up actually, uh, my daughter was in daycare right before the pandemic hit. And then we held her out of daycare. I, I you know everyone was at home. Mm-hmm. We ended up holding her out for a full year. Uh, while, and she was a year and a half to two and a half. Um, and so we had her at home while I had football season. My wife was working. I look back and I'm like, I have zero idea how we do th- how we did this. Um, but I, I made a post on Instagram about this when my daughter went back to daycare because she, she went back, she's been back for about a year now. Um, and you know, I think the data that we have now about how like it affects kids and stuff like that, like I probably would have approached it a little bit differently, but I wanted to play it safe. So I didn't have any regrets, you know, that I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, didn't feel a certain way and didn't like put her in any sort of harm. Um, but I really, you know, I made a post about this on Instagram whenever Avery, my daughter went back to school. Um, and at that time she was two and a half. Now she's three and a half, but Um, you know, I, I genuinely, you know, I, I, when the pandemic hit, I was like, I don't think I can get through this pandemic with a one and a half, two-year-old at home. But then I realized after the fact that I don't think I couldn't, like, I think that I needed her to be home with us to be able to get through that. Like it was, 
like she was she's just a joy and like the the crazy thing is that like you have like a growth period from a year and a half to two and a half years old for children that's like arguably the greatest growth period of a human being's life like in that because like they learn so they learn to talk they learn to do they learn to like do so many things we got to witness all that firsthand and like you got to look at the positives like that's so cool and i've I've totally recognized how lucky we were to both have jobs where we can work from home and all of that um and i i understand even the privilege to that it was just it's just i i feel very very lucky that um you know amongst this like horrific thing going on around us we at least had that that beacon of light if you will um Mm -hmm. and that ability to like see i mean i look back like I look back at my photos of like when the pandemic started and look at her. And then I look at her a year later when she went back to daycare, it's like a di- completely different kid. Wow. Um, it was really cool. Like that, that, yeah, that, that aspect of being at home um, and, and, you know, with the pandemic and such. And um, you know, I, I it, at least there was some silver lining through it all. Mm-hmm. Well, so what do you like to do in your free time? Oh, well, hobbies and things of that nature. Kind of a generic question, but I'm sure you have a great answer for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty boring. I'm, I'm like a very standard no. suburban dad at this point in my life. Um, I, uh, I watch a lot of Netflix with my wife and watch TV. Um, <clears throat> I play video games. Uh, so I'm a little bit nerdy from that standpoint. Um, you know, we do, we, we go out to like parks all the time. I mean, I'm just like a very, very generic, you know, and, and honestly, like the stuff that I do, like if I have free time, mm-hmm. you know, it, technically it's work, but like, I love like messing around with my prospect model and stuff. And like, just looking at like yeah. different, like I, I'm still like very into that stuff. I, I don't want that passion to really ever die because I don't think I'll do my job as well then. Um, and so, yeah, I mean like I, I again, just like really, really, I'm, I'm obsessed with my Peloton uh, I ride Peloton all the time. That's like my, a uh, big, big, like I need to work out in the middle of the day, at least like four or five days a week, just to like, not feel like garbage, like mentally. Um, and so, you know, I have that. Um, but yeah, I mean, just like very, very traditional, normal suburban dad type stuff. Oh, that's awesome. You know, like just to be able to have that family connection that you have and being able to see, like the, the the story you said about seeing the pictures from the beginning to when you took her back you know to daycare that's just that's just really awesome and I want to know also though um not just hobbies but let's talk a little bit about fantasy football leagues and is there a specific wrinkle that you've seen in a league that you enjoy that maybe is kind of out of the normal yeah. I mean, like, I, I don't, I don't necessarily have like, like, I, of course, like I'm, I'm way more now into like super flex leagues and stuff than like regular single quarterback leagues. And and I've done a lot of like last year, I feel like I finally figured out like the, the guillotine league, uh, sort of like, like secret code. Um, you know, I was in two guillotine leagues last year and I won them both, okay. um, which is not going to happen ever again. Super, <laughs> super humble brag, but it's never going to happen again. Super awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was sweet, but uh, I really like that format. It's pretty fun if you want something different and new. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I play any sort of fantasy league that folks will want to play. Like I'm I'm not really like one of those people that has like a giant, giant preference in like scoring or something. Like people get really worked up about like whether it's PPR or not PPR. People get really worked up about like quarterback rushing and how that can impact things. And that, to me, it's just like, just play the game. Like it's just, just play around whatever the scoring is alter your strategy. And I kind of like that about it, that, that every league is different and you can approach it in a different way. So I don't really have any, like 
any sort of specific format that I'm really in love with, but I do think that people should try out like the formats that really, really change the game, like a guillotine league where, you know, it's unlike anything that you've really done in with your traditional league. For sure. For sure. And um, Scott Fishbowl is a big thing. And I know that it's like the start of fantasy football when Scott Fishbowl starts and everything. Um, and I know that you've been in it. So when you go into the Scott Fishbowl, because, you know, Scott's crazy with all of his wrinkles that he likes to throw in. Do you still go with the same kind of strategy that you would go for with the late round quarterback and everything? Or does it depend? Yeah, it depends. Depends on how the, the draft unfolds and stuff. And I'll be honest, like I get a little weird with my Scott Fishbowl teams. Like I, you know, I just like <laughs> try to have some fun with it and like get a yeah. little crazy with my picks and like, like sort of like make a statement with some of the picks, you know, more so than like it being totally, totally optimal. It's just more fun that way. I mean, I think that that's what Scott Fishbowl is all about. It's not like, you know, of course you want to win. Of course you want to do well, but it's also just about like having lots of fun with it. Don't like ruin the league for your, for your league mates, of course, be active and like, don't make stupid picks, you know, and, and allow value to fall when it shouldn't fall. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I, I don't mind, you know, I definitely will look at scoring and adjust my strategy based on scoring in this, in the settings uh, of Scott Fishbowl every year, but I'm not afraid to get a little weird with it as well. I mean, it, yeah. At the first, when I first joined Scott Fishbowl for the, when I was like just starting fantasy football, I was like, okay, yeah, sure. Um, mm -hmm. But no, you know, I started that and yeah, it's just crazy to see how, how involved the community is with it as well. Wow. Like the camaraderie, the, the charity aspect of it and everything. And I'm just saying this because Scott's listening. Supposedly he said he would listen. So we'll see if he got this far. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it is, it is cool to see that. Um, are you in, do you know how many leagues you're actually in? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think I'm in like, I, I try to not go too, too crazy. So, well, I say, I, I, I don't know what like context people have, but like, I try not to go too, too crazy with like dynasty and every dynasty league I join now is a best ball league because okay. I just can't, I, I don't want to manage too many of them. I'm in like 12 or 13 dynasty leagues at this point. Um, and then redraft, I'm usually in 20 to 25 a year. Okay. Um, so I just like bookmark them all and just, you know, waivers. I'm just like going through all of them every night. And like, people are like, how do you manage all yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and to me, it's more so just like, you know, like at the end of the day, like this stuff is no different than like you going to your day job and you just know stuff in the back of your head. Like this is how you approach things. And it's no different for me. Like I just did a ton of research and and did podcasts on this very topic of picking guys off uh, up off the waiver wire so I can do it fairly quick just because, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about this kind of stuff. Hey, that's smart. Uh, yeah. Do you do you like to trade? Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm very much a, and I, I think, I think my league mates would agree that I approach trades in a way where I want them immediately to want to do the deal. I, mm. I don't lowball very often. Um, mm -hmm. if I do lowball, uh, it's, it's mostly because I hate the other manager and I just want, I, I want <laughs> uh, no, I mean like I, I, I trade a lot. I trade pretty frequently. I think it's really important because I think that at the end of the day, trades can be win-win for both teams. So yeah, I do it pretty often. Um, and you know, it's, it's one of the really fun parts of fantasy. Do you sit down and like map out how you want to do a trade or how do you go about the process of presenting a trade? 
Yeah. I mean, I would say that my go-to approach is to just look at team needs and give them those needs. Right. So if they mm-hmm. need running back and I have decent enough running backs and I'll, I'll trade with that team. Cause I know that they need that thing, uh, which is no different than like sales, right. It's no different than like any other transaction that you would be making uh, with someone else. So try to approach it from that standpoint. Awesome. Do you prefer dynasty over redraft or redraft over dynasty? I know you're in a million redraft leagues. Yeah. Look, I, <laughs> I love, I love dynasty. I love so much about dynasty, yeah. but I don't think that I could ever get away from redraft as my, my, my go-to number one. And, and a lot of that mm-hmm. just has to do with like what it's afforded me in life and like the audience it's there. And I just, you know, I, I connect with a lot more people um, via redraft uh, than I do in dynasty just because, you know, dynasty is like the, the people I play with are going to be a little bit more hardcore with this stuff. And like, yeah, I create like, like unique relationships with, with those managers and stuff, but there's just more people who are playing redraft. And so, right. um, you know, I'm just speaking to more people with my redraft analysis. I mean, I can see it in my download numbers from the off season to in season where mm-hmm. the off season, I'm doing more dynasty content in season. I'm doing redraft content. More people just care about redraft and, right. and in turn, like, like I love doing redraft. Don't get me like it's not like I don't have that preference, but you know it's a little bit easier for me to love redraft even more because I know that a lot of other people do. Do your friends hit you up with you know asking for fantasy advice and who they should start and all this other stuff? All the time, all the, all the time. time. And I'll be honest with you, I get really one of the things that like I, I don't, I'd say like I've learned through the years to not get like totally totally tilted over things. Um, you know whether it's people on Twitter being jerks or like uh, whether it's just someone just being rude to me whatever there's like two there's two things though that i always will get frustrated and that i I found myself like i try to be very self-aware right um Mm -hmm. and one of the things number one with with related to my friends i hate whenever i give someone who i'm like a casual friend with uh fantasy advice and then it ends up being wrong and they like and they like taunt me afterwards and i'm like this is my literal job that you're like making fun of right now. Like you have yeah. to understand the variance that's involved here. Right. And it's really frustrating when like, then don't ask me the question. If you're going to come back to me, if I get it wrong, don't ask yeah. me the question. And they never come back to me when I get it right. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's one thing that's always frustrating. The other thing, I don't mind when I get things wrong. Like I, I cause I just recognize you're going to get stuff wrong all the time. But what I do get frustrated at, and you might even see me on Twitter, get frustrated at it. If like, like if someone's it's basically it's when people misrepresent what I'm saying, that's what frustrates me more. It's not the getting things flat out wrong. It's when you think that I got something wrong, but I actually didn't get it wrong. Like get at least call out the things that I got wrong and not the things that I actually wasn't wrong about. And you're saying that I'm wrong. Yeah. Uh, That's the kind of thing that just frustrates me because I'd rather be wrong about the stuff I'm wrong about, right about the stuff I'm right about. And then there's a lot of gray area in there too, but just don't, you know, don't, don't misrepresent what I'm trying to say word <laughs> a lot of people do like to to get in there and start you know chirping away at it oh, and yeah. stuff and yeah you just gotta roll with the punches <laughs> yeah. do you have any um okay actually i don't want to ask that because it's negative i don't want to ask negative questions what do you what's something you other that you dislike about twitter i don't care what do you like about t- the twitter community as a whole What what is something about twitter that just makes it such an awesome platform for fantasy football I think people are generally awesome. Like every conference that I've ever gone to, I mean, I've been to a dozen conferences. Um, Everyone that I meet is exactly as they are on Twitter. Like they're, they're the same general personality 
and like the expectation is the same. Like you're, you're having real relationships and conversing with real people and you get to know people. And I've made some really good friends through, through the industry. And I'm not afraid to say that, like I met friends on Twitter. Like I met my podcast co-host Denny on -hmm. Twitter and now he's a great friend. Like it's just, you know, and, and rich and like other people, like there's just people throughout this industry that I've met through the years that, you know, they've stuck with it. I've stuck with it. Um, and I have a relationship with them now. And I think like, to me at the end of the day, like life is about relationships. And so, um, you know, being able to, uh, you know, build off of those and have those through my job in this way is really, really awesome. Like you, you just don't get that in other places. And then, you know, a lot of people will say negative things about like how Twitter is awful because people are awful on the internet and stuff like that. You know, like, sure. I get trolls every once in a while. I don't get, yeah. I don't get like an absurd amount of trolls. Cause I think a lot of it is like, if you just throw out hot takes without showing your work, you're going to get more trolls than if you are nuanced and you're talking about things in a nuanced way. Like you're, you're just not going to, people aren't going to like, they're going to at least respect what you're doing a little bit more. Right. Um, I love talking to people who are fans of what I'm doing. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's amazing. Like how, how do you not appreciate that? And like, you have this like, like-minded approach to things and you enjoy the same things. And there's that connection there. Um, I, I love that. I, 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 you know, it's, it's an unbelievable feeling and experience to have a lot of people that listen to what I do. Like, I, I just, I don't know how people would view that in a, in a different way. Um, you know, I really appreciate whenever people are talking to me or like whenever they like say something about my, ask about my daughter or like if they, cause I've shared those things on podcasts mm-hmm. and stuff and they're thinking about it. It shows me that they care, you know? And, and I try my best to always recognize and remember the people who are, you know, listening to the show and coming to me about things and uh, you know, building those relationships is just, you know, it, it, it's crazy that it can happen on a platform like that. And I think that at the end of the day is why Twitter is awesome and why it can be so impactful. It's also probably pretty mind blowing to have fans like to to have a group of people who are like big fans of yours. Like you're not a sports team, you're not, you know. Yeah, well, like I said though, it's like it's I got I have imposter syndrome for sure. Like I I do not feel I do not feel worthy of that, and it makes me feel uncomfortable a lot of times. Like just to be a hundred with you, like yeah, it's it's just not like like you know I'll go on a podcast or something, and the host that I'm doing the show with will be like. I'm such a big fan. I love X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, like, I'm so appreciative of it, but I know that the way I come off is just like, probably like, I sound like such a jerk. And I'm just like, Oh, thank you. Like, I appreciate it. But like, I, I just don't feel like that is necessary. Like, I don't right. feel uh, like that, that needs to, to happen. And, and, you know, it's funny though. Like I remember, <laughs> I remember one time just to tell you a quick story about this, uh, and, and fans. One time I was, uh, I ran a, uh, um, a marathon relay in downtown Charlotte. And I was with uh, Mike Leone. I ran it with Mike Leone, who's at established the run. And, you know, he's a DFS guy and him and I have become friends through the years, just through uh, work and whatnot. And, and he was in Charlotte because his sister lives down here. And we went to brunch afterwards and we're like hanging out, eating brunch and drinking and stuff. And I'm with Leone, like not super often because he lives in Buffalo. And so I'm not like with him very often at all. It just so happens that someone recognized me that day and came up <laughs> to me and was like, I'm a huge fan. So, so I tried to pretend with him then that like, oh yeah, this is like an everyday occurrence. You know, I just go out and people are like, oh yeah, I love your podcast. Not just, I mean, it's not the way that it is at all. It's not the way it is, but um, yeah, I mean like the, it's, it's cool to have people that appreciate what I do because I work hard at it. There's no doubt. Like I put a lot of effort into thinking about things 
um, you know, different ways and producing content and putting stuff out there. Um, and it's nice to feel like what I'm putting out there is, is resonating, you know, that, that there's people that are caring about what I'm doing and that work isn't necessarily going to waste. You know, it's, it's a, it's a great feeling. So I welcome the feedback loop and, and welcome people saying those really nice things. I just will always have some sort of imposter syndrome because I don't feel worthy of it. Well, I'll try to hold back on all the nice things I was going to say about you, but no, <laughs> I appreciate, we're going to wrap this up, but I appreciate you so much for coming on the show and talking with me. And I know that everybody that's listening to this right now is like very, very happy that they made it all the way through the episode. Way to go guys. Um, JJ, can you go ahead and just tell everybody one more time where they can find you and what you got going on? Yeah. Uh, I'm on Twitter at late round QB, all my work now, uh, you can find on, on late round.com. So there's a Patreon page, uh, where, uh, we're, I'm sharing rankings and stuff on there where there's a discord that's through Patreon as well, which has been a lot of fun. Uh, and then I have my podcast, the late round podcast. You can find that anywhere. And then the late round prospect guide is still on sale through the draft after the draft too. Cause I will update that, that guide once, uh, you know, guys get picked and stuff. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So everybody go check all that out. Follow him on Twitter and just go get you a draft guide and go get you a, or a prospect guide and all that other stuff. Cause you know, JJ's got so much awesome content over there at the website. So check him out and everybody make sure that you come back next week for another episode of get real. Stay rad.